homework. Guys, if you've maybe looked through your booklet, um, trying to make sense of it, get used to it. If you've been part of our studies, then you know this. Um, you know how we design these things. This study might look a little bit different and we'll get into that later, but here's what you could pick up on, guys. There's three kinds of questions observation, interpretation, and application questions, okay? This is how we've been doing it for a couple years now. This isn't original to us, but three kinds of questions. Most of them are observation. When you read an observation question, you will love me. You will think I'm the best thing in the world because they're gonna seem almost easy. All you have to do is say, what does it say? What does the text say? Okay, don't overthink it. Just Look in your Bible, you're gonna get close to the text and you're going to answer the question. I'm not trying to trick you. Then you're gonna to go to an interpretation question and you might hate me. Interpretation is what does it mean? Your cue here that you're in an interpretation question is it'll start with why do you think? Why do you think, why do you think? And those can sometimes be hard. There is no pressure, okay? You can put a big question mark there after you've sat on it for a couple minutes, or you can just write whatever you think. That's why we have small group time, is to come together and talk about the questions that we put a big question mark on, okay? That is an important part of the process. And then application, what does this mean for my life, okay? So observation, interpretation, application. As you um, look at this study, I hope that you'll start to pick up on this pattern. If you guys remember, each year we talk about the path of transformation. Okay, that again, not original to us. We love to just find really good ideas and copy them. So I believe that one is Jen Wilkin, the path of transformation. Guys, if we come here, especially on a topic like suffering and we just address it with our hands, like we can be strong women even when life is hard. We can do this, right? Then we actually are really at risk for being exhausted because we're just trying to muscle our way through hard times. But also we could fall into moralism. Well, if we just behave rightly, then we'll be good Christian women. We don't wanna do that, right? If we came and we only asked questions for our mind, then we're also gonna be an imbalanced or lopsided women. We would just be brains with legs, right? That's not helpful. But what we wanna do is we want to connect our mind with our heart and then our hands. So what might feel like a challenge at times during this study is that we will ask you to lead out with your mind, okay? When you start your homework and you start those questions, it starts with your mind and then it's gonna to move to your heart. You will feel comfort and encouragement from the word of God, and then it comes out to your hands. You will know, you will have ideas on how you can live differently. You will feel empowered to respond differently according to the word of God. That is our path of transformation. And the reason we do this is because the goal of studying the Bible is that we would know God better and that we would be whole women. And so when we work for our mind, our heart, and our hands, we are moving towards being whole, flourishing women. Couple more, couple more details for the actual study, guys. If you're looking through it and you're trying to plan out, like, how can I do this? What is my new norm gonna be on um, getting this work done? There's lots of different ways that you can schedule it, of course, and you can brainstorm that in your small group times. But if you um, are hoping to set aside a certain amount of time every day, I would plan on 30 minutes a day, okay? Um, it might seem a little bit longer than the last two that I've written, but it might seem on some days a little shorter than uh, last semester's God of Covenant and God of Creation, okay? But there are days where you'll be able to plow through it in 20 minutes, but there's days where I hope you can set aside a whole hour and go deep into God's word, okay? But as you're looking at that, there will be days more than the other studies where it takes two pages, okay? 
Okay, so moving on. Why this study? Why are we studying suffering? Um, well, it wasn't the original plan. Actually, I was, goodness, I might have been halfway through the fall working on a different study, uh, studying it and preparing to write, and I just started to feel a catch in my spirit, almost. Not that what I was doing was wrong, it was still the word of God, but it was like, I don't, I don't know if this is the need of the hour for us. And I, I think it was Thursday, the end of my work week, and I looked up kind of at, at my week, I kind of looked backwards and I was like, oh my goodness. This is what was in my week and this was what was in that month. I, we lost a, a, a Veritas woman to cancer. That same week, uh, I had a friend whose mom was diagnosed with cancer. Um, that week I sat in a group of women, just four young moms, and, and they were, it was this beautiful time of, of sharing and one woman was just sharing how um, sad she was because of her infertility. Asking, how can I honor God in a season of infertility? And right next to her was a woman also who wants to honor God, who was anxious because she had a surprise pregnancy. And I'm sitting there watching them suffer next to each other and I realize that there are so many different faces of suffering and they're all real and it's not about comparing them to each other. And then I watched them want to reach the person across that circle. They wanted to know how to support the hurting woman next to them. And then I looked at the weeks surrounding that, a friend with severe depression. One night heard of a woman who was wanting to honor God with her singleness, but she was lonely and she was, she was fearful because she was still single. And the next day I sat and listened to a woman who was lonely within marriage. That's the reality. There are so many different faces of suffering, but I realized that that was the need of the hour. That was what we needed to do, and so I changed course right there. And I started praying about what it would look like to have a study on suffering. So this study might look a little bit like a study we did, I think three years ago, called Where God Dwells. You could call it a survey study or a walk through the Bible uh, study, but it's different than what we usually do. What we usually do is we pick one book of the Bible. Lots of times we don't even pick a whole book of the Bible, but maybe just a couple verses. And then we zoom out and see what the rest of the Bible says about it. But this semester we're doing the opposite. We're going to start with the big picture and then we're going to zoom in each week. The hope of this is that by the end of the semester, you'll be able to have a better grip on the Bible as a whole. You'll be able to be like, yes, I get it. If nothing else, you'll get the bookends, Genesis and Revelation. Okay, and so it's different in that way. But no matter what we're studying, this is what we always ask at the beginning. We always ask a question about the questions. We say, what is the question that we should be asking right now? What is the question that this text is asking? I wanna start the same way, but with a little twist. As we start on this walk through the Bible and we start talking about suffering, what is the worst question? What's the most irrelevant question we could open with? I think it is, what is suffering? I think if I got up here and I'm like, okay, here's what we're gonna talk about. What is suffering? And we talked about it like it was this detached or impersonal thing. I think it would be inappropriate actually. If we talked about suffering like it's gonna fit into a box or if we talked about it like we're gonna have this equation or these bullet points to follow, I think it would be a miss. 
because there is not a stranger to suffering in this room. Yes, some of us have experienced more loss or more trauma than others, but some of us maybe in a good season right now, but might have suffering ahead for us. In fact, we could almost guarantee it. And so we don't need to answer the question, what is suffering? It doesn't always adhere to patterns. We rarely see suffering coming. Guys, the goal of this study is not to oversimplify your suffering. The goal of this study is not to belittle your pain or your situation. But the goal of the study is to find a hope that dwarfs our suffering. But I still hold to it. What is the question that we should be asking right now? It's definitely not what is suffering. But man, guys, I have a whole page of questions. These are questions that I think drove you to sign up for the study, especially if you're new. These are questions that I think fill this room. Really big questions like this. Why does suffering exist? Right? We've heard this before. How could a good God allow pain and suffering? Where is God in the hard times? Who is God in the most extreme faces of suffering? So when children are abused, when refugees are abandoned, when mass shootings occur. Maybe some of you have questions more like this. Is there actually meaning in these smaller daily sufferings? I mean, is there meaning in paper cuts and canker sores and fender benders? Then there's the questions that I think we have, but none of us wanna articulate it. There's those really honest questions that maybe we don't wanna say out loud. Like, is the goal of the study that I have to be an optimist? Because I don't wanna be an optimist. Or, Rebecca, what if I'm not sad, but I'm angry about the hard things in my life? Is that okay? Is it okay to want to avoid hard times? Is that okay in the Christian world? Maybe you have just this honest confession of whenever people start talking about future glory, it's just a miss for me. It means nothing. I think that if we opened up this room to those questions, guys, in this room, we would have amazing conversation. I think that you guys would have insights to give each other. We would actually come up with some really good answers to pass around the table but then there's a whole nother batch of questions. There's the practical questions, right? Maybe that's why some of you are here today is because you want answers to really practical questions like how do I, like boots on the ground, how do I suffer well? How do I control my mouth when I am in conflict? How do I practically daily learn to wait patiently? How do I live week to week with this much disappointment? How do I practically loosen the grip on bitterness? And I believe, again, we could just talk about it and you guys would share some great things because you have great wisdom to share. You have verses memorized. I know you do. You have quotes memorized. You have a desire to help your hurting friends and your hurting children. And most of all, you have your story. You have your story of loss and pain and turmoil and chaos. Your story, the highs, the lows, the wins, the losses, the stories that are still being written, you have them. And what I'm going to ask you to do and what I'm going to do as we go through the book, as we go through the Bible, is we are going to take our stories 
and we are going to place them within the big story of the Bible. We're not gonna take the Bible and, and try and conform it around our situation or our crisis, but the other way around. I'm inviting you guys to find your story within the story of the Bible. So what do I mean about that? When I say the phrase, the story of the Bible, what do I mean? Well, I wasn't tricking you. This is a topical study on suffering. But if you've been around, I think you're picking up that whenever we do a, a theme study or a topical study, it's actually picking up on the theme of the Bible. And that's more what we're doing right now. So as every week we're going to learn about suffering, we're also gonna learn this. We are gonna learn that the Bible is one big story. It's one big story made up of many, many smaller stories. It's one story, it's written by God, and it's about God. It's one big story made up of hundreds of smaller stories. God, what we're gonna learn about him today is that he is the master storyteller. I think we all know the difference between a great storyteller and a dud of a storyteller, right? And we enjoy good stories. Uh, my season of life right now, my boys are all in elementary school. I'm loving this season, but um, I don't know that we have achieved master storytelling status yet. When I go to pick the boys up, after school, they start to tell me their stories of the day. We have two themes, only two themes. This is what I hear about every single day, one of them. I think they're old enough that I'm not supposed to use their names anymore. Um, so act like you don't know who I'm talking about if you know them. Um, one of them, right away, he's the first one to talk every time. He tells me the same story every day. It's about recess. It is about football at recess and it is about how he is the hero. <laughs> every single recess. He's the hero. I, I just can't believe that I birthed such a gifted child. <laughs> 14 touchdowns, three interceptions. I don't even know. Every day it's the story, the same story over and over again. And then there's the other two. They kind of stick together. Every day they come and they tell me a story about lunch. Every day it's about lunch. Corn dogs this, chili crispito this, the cinnamon rolls weren't big enough. Every day we hear these same stories. We have not quite gotten to the status of master storyteller. But God is a master storyteller. And you are going to discover that as we walk through the Bible in these seven weeks. He wrote one big story and it's about him revealing himself. One big story that's about him redeeming his children and about him restoring his kingdom on earth. And the alliteration that we've used in previous studies, God is revealing himself. He is redeeming his children. He's restoring his kingdom on earth. Isn't it so cool, guys? I mean, we should actually pause for a moment and make sure that we're like in awe of this and thankful that God chose to reveal himself through a story. I mean, what's the alternative? Out, like a boring outline or sterile bullet points where God tells us what we need to know about him. That's not what he does. He tells a story. And he tells it artfully. He tells it with mystery and turns and twists. It's very cool. He tells us a story that we might know him. And because it's a story, it has themes. The theme is not football feats and the theme isn't chili crispitos. Some of the themes of the Bible are really big and obvious, like redemption. But there are so many other themes that take a little bit more digging and a little bit more time to discover. And one of those is suffering. We should feel the irony in that this book that is called The Good News is filled from beginning to end with stories 
of suffering. That's a tension that we are going to work through each week. And actually, you might even find that the frequency of the suffering and the severity of it is shocking or is distressing. So how do we even go about this, guys? How in the world do we go about tackling such a big, personal, and often painful topic? How do we go about learning about such a big story and not feel lost or or overwhelmed or purely academic? Well, that's where I think metaphors come into play. So what I thought we could talk about today is the story of the Bible as if it were a puzzle. Okay, let's talk about puzzles. And in its very simplest form, the story of the Bible is a four-piece puzzle. Okay, so you imagine like the puzzles you get for your baby. The first one they do is just four pieces. And here's what most theologians would call those four pieces. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration or new creation or consummation. I think that's awkward, so we're not gonna use the word consummation. So creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. It's a four-piece puzzle. Now, here's something I think is very interesting about puzzles. I feel like people are in one of two camps with puzzles. Either you are a puzzle person, right? You are passionate about puzzles or you hate them. There is no one undecided about puzzles. There's nobody neutral that I have met about this. And if you are in this camp of loving puzzles, you wanna defend them to the rest of the world. So if you are over here and and you don't really like puzzles, and I'm sorry, just come with me on this for just today, the story of the Bible as a puzzle, four pieces. But what if we thought of it like this? What if we thought of it as maybe just those four things are the corner pieces, right? Those are the first four pieces you want to find. So here's our anchors are four anchors to the story of the Bible. We could say it like this. The first anchor in creation, God creates. In the beginning, God. He creates a world and it is good and it is thoughtful and it has order and it has no suffering. The second corner, the fall of man, sin enters, man rebels, suffering enters the world. The third anchor, Jesus Christ comes and fixes the mess that sin made. And then this fourth corner, the best piece, this is where Jesus Christ will return and make all things new. He will wipe away all tears in the new creation. Those are our corner pieces. And then we begin to fill in the outside pieces, right? If you're a good strategic puzzle maker or master, you start filling in the rest of the outside pieces and it gets harder, doesn't it? But it also becomes more rewarding, right? When two pieces click together, it's rewarding and it's worth it. Now, I kind of am still afraid that if you hate puzzles, that you kind of stopped listening to me and that you're just giving me a polite look right now because I know that you're out there. Okay, so I actually read a book that has a great uh, metaphor for the story of the Bible. And so if the puzzle thing isn't working for you, maybe this will. Have you ever thought of the story of the Bible as a symphony, right? Or in, in, um, in musical terms. Okay, I am a bit of a poser even talking about this because I'm not musical, but um, it works. This book convinced me of it. So here's some musical words, track with me if you know. So think about this, a symphony has many parts that make up a whole just like the story of the Bible. Um, there's, you know, you got violins and you have low ba- bass, low brass, 
they're, oh, they're both things. Look at me. Okay. Uh, there's percussion, right? Um, you have movements. Uh, you have repetition. Uh, think about this. You would have um, moments of tension and resolution. Uh, maybe you would have, I learned this on Sunday night because the crowd heckled me from, you know, from their seats. There's moments of dissonance. Do you know that word? Where it's like, what, like a sharp key clash, a clash. Yes, not just with symbols, but maybe like you're supposed to feel dissonance. Can I please just go completely off script and tell you why I feel like such a poser right now? Um, I would not say I'm musical, but in fifth grade, I tried out for band. That's uh, when our school started. And you would walk in, you walked into the auditorium or the gym and you had all these instruments that you were supposed to like try out on or like sample. I mean, almost like, like Costco, you're like walking around and you're sampling all these different instruments. Okay, here's the backstory that I did not know at the time. My mom had pulled aside our band instructor before this day and said to him, we don't have the budget for her to buy an instrument, not even rent one. Could you please like help us find the cheapest horn or even like if there's a free one, can you like encourage Rebecca to use that that horn. So here I come, I'm coming into this auditorium, I'm gonna become a musician. And you know, all the girls are over at the flutes and the clarinets or the drums are looking really cool. But I, I come to this one instrument and I, I sample it. And the instructor is like, oh my goodness, you're amazing at this. Oh my goodness, you're such a natural. Your, your cheekbones or your cheeks or your, you know, you were built for this. The baritone is your horn, Rebecca. <laughs> the baritone, a small tuba, right? Like a euphonium. I was a fifth grade girl and I'm like, yeah, that's me. And I believed him that I was, this was predestination. I was made for this horn. And I went after it. I tend to go a little intense with things I'm excited about. So I went after becoming a musician with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and worked very, very hard, got all into it. Guys, never once though was I truly musical. Like here's my biggest confession in life. I feel horrible. I've, I'm saying this so that you will shame me, not applaud me. I actually ended up making Allstate a couple times in high school. Never once in my life hearing flat versus sharp. You know, like how musicians hear those things? I faked it for seven years. I faked it because I could just do the skills and it got me that far. And then I got to Allstate and there was this one point where, you know, like you're tuning and I just like would fake move the little thing that like makes you, oh, it was horrible. The story of the Bible is like a symphony. Go with it if that works for you. I'm not gonna pretend anymore to be a musician, so we're gonna stay with the puzzle. Okay, the story of the Bible, one big story made up of smaller parts. Guys, what we do on this intro night, the goal of this intro night is that you guys would be curious that coming here tonight, it would whet your appetite and that you would feel like you can do this. The, one of the goals here is that you guys would feel like there is no distance from whoever is on the stage and whoever is in the seats. We want to close that gap. We don't want you to feel like whoever helped write this study who is teaching this week is a pro. 
and that you can't do this, that you can't study at this depth. We want to just get rid of that divide. We want you to feel curious. Because when Emily and Alex and I work on these studies, you know what, all we do is we stay curious and we write down whatever questions come to our minds and eventually they form into a study. So what I wanna do now is to tell you the story of the Bible. I want to tell you a short version of that and I want it to make you curious and motivated and excited to go discover this story for the next seven weeks. So Genesis. Genesis tells us about the beginning. In the beginning, God. Original design is a paradise home for God's people. These are people who would work and serve God. These are people who are gonna be in perfect intimacy with him. The scene in Eden is full of thoughtful design, free from suffering. But you know this, our first parents, they forfeited that paradise. And in their moment of rebellion towards God, sin is born. Genesis tells us the beginning of sin and consequences, affliction, suffering, chaos. Adam and Eve are driven out of the garden. They are exiled from a mountain oasis and find themselves in the desert of the Middle East. Guys, Genesis is going to present you with some things that are familiar, but they're also gonna present you with some puzzle pieces that don't quickly fit together. As you are going to read about men and women who experience suffering, not just evil men like Cain or maybe the men that we imagine in Noah's day, but we might have a hard time putting these pieces together as we see godly men and women, men like Abraham or, or Sarah, men and women who God is going to move his story through. They experience chronic and severe suffering. Then we're gonna go into the second book, the Bible. And it's gonna open with suffering. In fact, we're gonna find in the book of Exodus that suffering is both the context of the people of God and the climax for them. The people of God are slaves under a snake of a man, Pharaoh. For 400 years, they are slaves. We're not gonna just plow through that. We're gonna stop and ask the question, where is God? Where is God when his people are in severe suffering for hundreds of years? Why would he allow it? And we're gonna read about Moses and we're gonna watch as the storyline moves through him as he is used by God to liberate their people. And we'll pause for a moment as we notice that their freedom is bought through the suffering of Passover lambs. And right when we think that they've suffered enough, after they have been freed, we will actually watch them get cornered in at the Red Sea by their enemies. We're gonna watch them experience thirst and hunger as they wander around as desert nomads. And again, guys, we might scratch our heads at this moment. These pieces might not quickly fit together as we say, first 400 years of suffering, and now we're gonna see 40 more years. But this time, these 40 years in a wilderness were prescribed by God. But finally, they will inherit Canaan. They will enter into the promised land. And that's when we'll maybe catch our breath. We'll say, oh, this is what I'd expect. This is what we expect. The people of God, God's children are being taken care of. They are being placed in a promised land where they will be safe and where they will flourish. And maybe we'll enjoy as two pieces quickly connect as we think, hey, the promised land kind of sounds like Eden. Week four will open up, it'll pick up. Again, the people are in, the people of God are in the promised land. They're living within the blessings and the promise of God. But then they determine that that's not enough. 
there's still something else that they need. They need a king like the nations around them and will want to scream into the pages telling them, stop, no, you have what you need. But they are given King Saul, the first king of the people of God, the demands of a stubborn people. And with this comes more suffering for them. So when the storyline picks up with David, we will gladly turn our gaze to him. We will see uh, David, a man chosen by God. We'll watch God initiate, God give promise, God give blessings to this man. And we'll get excited as we say, hey, this kind of sounds like how God dealt with Abraham. And maybe when we see the picture, that familiar picture of David standing up to Goliath, we put two pieces together as we say, hey, didn't Moses stand before Pharaoh in that way? But we're gonna continue. We're gonna get close to the text in David's life. And we see that actually, a closer look, David's life, it's not just filled with some victories. It is filled to the brim with suffering. We're gonna see drawn out seasons of sufferings and it's not gonna make sense. There's gonna be dissonance as we say, wait a minute, this was the chosen man of God. This is the special son of God, the royal king. And his life is filled with suffering and he's on the run and he's being persecuted. Then we see him having to serve. What do we do with that? And then what do we do when we see as King David's life changes and the latter half of his life is filled with rebellion and loss and chaos? Guys, that's the end of week four, our time in the life of David. As we get to the end of our time in the Old Testament, we might be up to our necks in frustration. We might be saying, where in the world is the solution to suffering? Where is God in all this? Where is the good news? We're more than halfway through the Bible. Maybe you'll be saying, when will the people of God find relief? When will victory come? And as we stand at the end of the Old Testament, looking into the new, we'll be scanning the horizons for the promised one, the solution to the suffering. I wanna take a moment though and pause right now. I wanna speak to those of you who, um, especially if you're new, uh, especially if you're new to studying the Bible, but I also wanna to speak to those of you who are in especially hard times in life. I know that some of you signed up for this study because of the nature of it. Because when you saw suffering on the announcement, you identified with that. So if you're in here and your pain is really fresh, raw, overwhelming right now, there's a chance that me standing up here saying, the Bible's one big story and we're gonna learn it. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it, ladies. There's a chance that that's a miss for you. Maybe you're shrinking back saying, what did I sign up for and how do I get out of this? Because if you are hurting severely today or you've been in chronic suffering or loss or brokenness, then the story of the Bible as a whole might might feel heavy, it might feel like too much. I want to put you at ease because yes, there is a big story and we're gonna talk about it, but you can also put your hands out and catch the goodness from each story individually. It's not just the whole that's going to help us suffer well, but it is the parts of the whole. I don't want you to feel stressed or feel like you're not up for this. 
There are good promises and good stories and good advice that fall out of each one of these parts. So here, here are some of the examples. Here are things that I pray for you that I have been praying for you. When you read Genesis, I hope that you feel validated. As you look at Eden, if, I want you to feel validated if you're saying, oh, it's okay that I hate my suffering. It's okay that I, I wanna shake off this pain because I was made for Eden. Hey, I was actually made for something even better and more complete than Eden. I was made for glory. If that's you, I want you to feel validated as you spend time in Eden. As you spend time in the story of Abraham, I pray and I know that you can find strength to be patient in whatever you are waiting for. I want you to feel like you can identify with Abraham and Sarah if you feel like the promises of God are slipping through your fingers. I want you and I believe that you can feel hope that you can feel strength to hope in what you cannot yet see, ladies. When you are in Exodus, I believe that you can read these stories and remember and be reminded that God wants to free you. He wants to free you from whatever it is that is holding you back or enslaving you, whatever pain is clinging so tightly to you. God is a God that frees his children. I want you to be in the book of Exodus and see that our heavenly father, is also our desert father. Ladies, he wants to sustain you in your wilderness. He wants to guide you and be with you in your desert season. I pray that as we go into David's story, that you will find strength to serve difficult people. But when you see David standing over Goliath, I pray that you will not say that Goliath is your boss. <laughs> or your teenage daughter, or your toddler who won't sleep. That's not what we're going for. <laughs> Guys, learn those lessons. Don't be afraid to catch that goodness that falls out of those individual stories. Let the parts of the whole instruct your mind, let them comfort your heart, let them strengthen your hands. There's so much to look back at. Even just right now, we're, we're still just in the Old Testament. There's so much to look back at. A great story, an exciting plot, surprising themes and twists and turns. But here's the deal, ladies. It's not just what we are going to look back at that will help us suffer well. And that's where Romans 8 comes in. All right, it's in Romans 8 that we are gonna to begin to see how our story fits into the bigger story. Okay, Romans was written by a man named Paul. Maybe that's familiar to you. Paul was a all-star Jew. He was raised and educated in the ways of the people of God. He knew the story of God's people better than anyone else. So whenever he opened his mouth or picked up a pen, he is telling the story of God's people. Whenever he teaches, he can't help but go back to the garden, go back to Genesis, go back to Exodus. And in a way, we are gonna use Paul and Romans 8 as like the narrator for our story. Romans 8 is actually gonna be like the skeleton for our study to help us be organized. Paul in Romans 8 is going to take us back into the story of God's people. He's gonna do it with excellence, but not just so that he can prove that there was suffering all along the way. Paul is not just gonna prove, hey, see, see there's suffering dotted along the storyline of redemption. No, he's gonna show us that it is suffering that pulls the story forward. Here's what I mean by that, guys. Paul, it's gonna pull us back 
so he can show us what should move us forward. He's gonna show us that suffering, it's, it wasn't just put into the story to make it more exciting. It, was, it wasn't just put there so that we can have some moments of dramatic tension or problems to solve. What he is showing us, and guys, this is what we, this is our thesis, you could say, is that suffering would be the means for the victory for the people of God. Let's say that again. Paul is gonna show us that suffering is the means to victory. This is the mystery of the Bible. As we begin to understand it, it will blow us away. Suffering is the means to victory. The storyline shows us on repeat that for the people of God, suffering is the means to victory. Humiliation, the means to exaltation. Humility, the road to glory. So when Paul, because Paul believes that, because Paul's gonna show us that, when Paul talks about suffering, ladies, he's going to also talk about hope. And because Paul does it that way, we will too. We are going to look at suffering, but we're gonna do it alongside hope. As we do the slow and steady work of putting the puzzle pieces together, what will happen is that a much bigger image is gonna come into focus. Here's what we will see slowly and steadily. We will see God and he will be near to the brokenhearted. We will see ourselves as the children of God. And we will see our stories fit into a much bigger story. And we will hear an invitation to hope. I found a great definition of hope. Hope is faith on tiptoe. Isn't that cool? I really wish I knew who I could give credit to for that because it wasn't me. Also, when I stood up on tiptoes on Sunday night, both of my calves cramped and I almost fell in that one serious moment. Hope, faith on tiptoe. That is the posture that we are going to take for these seven weeks is tiptoe, looking for hope. Strain ahead, look for your future glory. Guys, you're gonna have weeks that you're gonna wrestle with hard truths. You're going to ask a lot of questions, but we are going to listen as God reveals himself in this story. So can I ask you as we start, where and what part of your life do you need to get up on tiptoe? What part of your heart, what broken relationship, what is it that you need to get up on tiptoe? Get your faith up expecting God to move in the midst of your pain. When Mitchell showed me his um, design for the study, I immediately loved it. And I looked at it and I was like, oh yeah, I get it. I identify with this flower. You know, he didn't even say anything. I just looked at it and I was like, yeah, I get it. And it brought to mind um, Psalm 103.15. It says, as for man, his days are like grass. His days are like a flower. Or in Isaiah, it says the grass withers and the flower fades. And I, I got that. I was like, yeah, that's, 
this is, this is me, this is you. But this flower, it's not just, it's not just that it's temporary or that it's brief, but it, it looks crushed, doesn't it? And sometimes that's how we feel. Sometimes, often, we feel crushed, don't we? We feel pressed in, we feel hard pressed on every side, we feel perplexed, we feel persecuted, we feel struck down. This is our reality. This is the reality in this room, this is the reality on Sunday nights, this is the reality for those listening to the podcast. Whether it is divorce or conflict or loneliness, exhaustion, bitterness, doubt. This is often our reality, is that we identify with this sad flower. But ladies, there are promises for this sad flower. There are promises for us because it is actually, it's frailty that contrasts greatly with its maker. Our frailty, our weakness, it contrasts greatly with the strength of our God. And the brevity of our life falls next to the eternality of our heavenly father. So while this flower is pressed, it is not crushed. Ladies, you might feel struck down, thrown down and perplexed by what God has allowed in your life. But you are not destroyed. You are not in despair and you are not abandoned. And ladies, here's why. Here's why we can claim this promise because this is what the whole story is about. Here's why we are not crushed. Because the whole story of the Bible points and climaxes to this, that he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Ladies, the story of the Bible does not promise you a life free from suffering, but it will show you the way to an eternity free from it. And it's because the whole story points to the man of sorrows. It points to Jesus, the man of sorrows who was crushed for our sins. He was despised. He was acquainted with grief. And the image that comes into view as Paul ties it all together is Jesus, as if the entire story was whispering of him. As if all the suffering of all of the stories of all of the children of God was just pointing to a greater sufferer yet to come. And in the moment of his death and his cry of abandonment, when the sky darkened and the heavens quieted as if God was turning his back on him, that serpent's wound on Jesus was sure and it struck him down. But it doesn't end there. And that is why we get up on tiptoe. Because after three days in the tomb, Jesus rose again, conquering sin and death, showing to be triumphant over evil and suffering. And then, this is where it gets crazy, then he invited his children to share in his sufferings with him, that they might share in his glory. And while our eternity is secure, but not yet a reality, here's what we do, ladies. Here is what we hold on to. 
Jesus will crush the head of Satan and end suffering forever. And because we are in him, if you are in Christ, he identifies with you in your suffering. And this is what you can scream out from Romans. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Do you hear that? Because Jesus rose from the grave, because he conquered death, we can share with him and we get to crush Satan under our feet. If you are in Christ, the victory that Jesus accomplished is also yours. That is your promise as you begin this study, that you can stand atop your sufferings. The victory of Jesus is your victory. He conquered sin and death, evil and suffering, and so can you. Not fully in this lifetime, but fully and sure and completely in the life to come. The life of glory, the life that is promised to the children of God. This is how the story ends. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being a master storyteller. And we thank you, God, that you are near to the brokenhearted and that you save those who are crushed in spirit. Father, would you today just show us how we can get our faith up on tiptoes? Could you come and inject us with hope that we might look ahead, believing you, the promise maker, to be the promise keeper? That is our hope, Lord. We thank you that it is finished, that while the story is not complete, it is finished, and we look forward to that with eager anticipation. Amen.